Welcome to the Russian Rulers Podcast, Episode 38. But there is still so much to do. Last episode, Peter saw his son Alexis, heir to the throne of Russia, buckle under the pressure of being the child of a living legend. The Tsarevich, accused of treason, supposedly plotting the overthrow of his father, is executed for his actions. In addition, Charles XII of Sweden, a sworn enemy of Russia, died suddenly from a stray bullet that struck him dead while riding a horse during a battle. He died a warrior's death, which even brought tears to Tsar Peter's eyes. By 1718, Peter had been Tsar for 36 years, with the last 22 years being the sole ruler after the death of his brother Ivan V. He had been taking his country screaming and fighting out of the old ways of Muscovite Russia and forced them to westernize, whether they liked it or not. But years of hard living were taking their toll on Peter. His non-stop lifestyle, along with hard drinking, was wearing down his body, but not his mind. But there was still so much to do. Russia still wasn't fully prepared for the international stage. They still needed to defeat Sweden and to forge diplomatic alliances and to train their people to be able to handle this large role in Europe. But no one out there really wanted to butt heads with Peter the Great, even if his country wasn't ready for the big time. While many in Europe still viewed him as a barbarian, he was a dangerous and powerful one. The other maritime powers were beginning to put up barriers in front of the ever-expanding Russians, spearheaded by the British and Hanoverian ruler George I. In 1719 and 1720, George drove wedges into the alliances Peter had developed with Prussia and Denmark. He had agitated the Turks into becoming belligerent towards Russia again. George also made an alliance with Sweden as well. Peter's numerous successes were now becoming his greatest problem. The Russian bear was scaring the hell out of everyone, and they tried mightily to cage the beast. They knew, though, deep in their hearts, that this was going to be proven to be an impossible task. Sweden was now the Tsar's focus. With his now powerful navy, Peter could finally put to rest his mortal enemy. As Derek Wilson put in his biography of Peter, when talking of the Swedish navy, quote, The heirs of the Vikings no longer dominated northern waters, and when it came to the crunch, their British allies did not wish to engage their navy in serious action. The Russian navy was now the equal, if not superior, of almost every navy in the world. Now, small skirmishes were fought all along the Baltic, with Sweden suffering defeat after defeat. The people of Sweden and their king, Frederick, were ready for peace, despite all the help the British were giving them at the time. In 1721, the Treaty of Nystad was signed, and Russia was given all the southern shores of the Gulf of Finland, which included modern-day Estonia and Latvia, as well as parts of Lithuania. Peter was totally vindicated for all the years of war with Sweden because of his shunting of the old Muscovite ways. His nation was now finally ready to take its rightful place as one of the leading nations of the world. 
There was little argument that the changes that Saar put into place had made such a difference. A speech given by Archbishop Feofan Prokopovich at a service at the Trinity Cathedral best sums up how Peter changed the worldview of Russia. Quote, Those who abhorred us as rude assiduously seek our fraternity. Those who dishonored us glorify us. Those who threatened us are afraid and tremble. Those who despised us are not ashamed to serve us. Many European crowned heads are not only willing to ally with Peter, our monarch, but do not consider it, consider it dishonorable to give him precedence. They have repealed their opinion. They have begun to speak and write about us differently. Russia has raised her head, bright, beautiful, strong, loved by friends, feared by enemies. The praises for Peter just kept on going. Gavrila Golovkin, the state chancellor, stood up and said the following, quote, The Senate takes the liberty of begging your majesty to accept the titles Father of the Fatherland, Emperor of all Russia, Peter the Great. We thought it right in the manner of the ancients, especially the Roman and Greek people. Also, as was the custom of the Roman Senate in recognition of their emperor's famous deeds, to pronounce such titles publicly as a gift and to inscribe them on statues for the memory of posterity. As Wilson once put, again puts it, quote, Peter was indeed a reincarnation for the rulers of ancient Rome. Had he not won for his people an empire? And had he not given them bread and circuses? Well, Peter was now 49, and as Delabriol said, quote, Within a few decades, Russia emerged from historical and intellectual non-being, developed a rational and coherent code of laws, and became, in the eyes of Western intellectuals, a type of model state. The Muscovy of 1700 transformed itself into an enlightened empire, a nation of light, a universal example. By 1721, the policies of Peter, while having an extraordinary effect of uplifting the nation of Russia as a power, did the opposite to the majority of the people. Mass exoduses were occurring due to the onerous taxes and demands all the wars and changes that were taking place. Today, we remember the Soviets building the Iron Curtain to prevent the Eastern Bloc citizens from fleeing west, but in Peter's time, he had his own wall. Guards in the military were stationed all along the borders with the West to keep the people in as well. In 1722-23, he embarked on the Persian War to help expand into the collapsing Persian Empire. The Ottoman Empire was already penetrating into the area, and Peter didn't want to lose out. While few casualties occurred in combat, 30,000 died of disease and the hardships encountered. Of course, the Tsar saw a little problem, as he could only see the end result, which was the benefits to modern Russia. The Persian War did not did allow for an improved traffic of goods from the Orient, and eventually laid the groundwork for the Trans-Siberian Railway many years later. Peter's influence in the expansion east was to manifest itself in the development of outposts as far away as Alaska and California.
Other problems in society, though, brought on by the Petrine reforms, included the formation of the first standing army. What were most troublesome to the common people was not the taxes necessary to keep the army and navy paid, but that they had to provide shelter and food for the men. And if said men behaved badly, like raping the daughter of the owner of the home, they stayed at. Well, too bad. It was a sacrifice that you had to make for the good of your country. Then, in 1724, Russia went through its first year of real peace in all of Peter's 29 years as sole ruler of Russia. It was something that the people appreciated more than their Tsar did. Now, in many of my previous podcasts, I oftentimes talked about the boyars and their influence, both bad and good, on Russia. As you may have noticed over the past month or so, that term has been used less and less. That is because by the end of Peter's reign, instead of thousands of boyars, only six families remained. He had abolished much of the hereditary benefits of being born into a family of nobility and focused more on performance and ability. Lest you think that Peter was evening the field, realize that the old nobility, while not named as such anymore, still had the upper hand at achieving advancement. If you were born a serf, you could have had the genius of an Albert Einstein, but that wouldn't get you anywhere. If you were a decent dolgeruki, doors were easily opened for advancement. At this point, you just have to stand back and marvel at the audacity and willpower Peter had in shattering the old Russia and changing everything about the country. As the great philosopher, French philosopher Voltaire said about Peter, quote, who could have pretended to say in the year 1700 that a magnificent and polite court would be formed at the extremity of the Gulf of Finland, that the inhabitants of Solokomsk, Kazan, and the banks of the Volga and Sok would be ranked among our best disciplined troops and gain victories in Germany after defeating the Swedes and the Turks, that an empire 2,000 leagues in length almost unknown to us before, should, in the space of 50 years, become a well-governed state and extend its influence to all the European courts. Peter the Great, therefore, who singly planned and executed this amazing and altogether unforeseen revolution, is, perhaps, of all princes, the one whose deeds are most worthy of being transmitted to posterity. But in 1724, people knew that their Tsar was no longer the energetic, vibrant man of old. Because of this, in May that year, he had his wife Catherine crowned Empress, likely to confer upon her the right to succeed him. A lavish ceremony ensued at the Cathedral of the Dormition in Moscow. He was preparing Russia for a female ruler something they had not seen for over 700 years, since Olga of Kiev. Later that year, though, William Mons, brother of Peter's first mistress, Anna, was accused of being a mistress, a mis having uh, Catherine having him as his mistress, which must have shattered Pe Peter as he deeply loved his wife. Whether this liaison actually occurred is up for debate. Whatever the truth he had Mons tortured, and supposedly after he was executed, 
he had his head sent to Catherine. Seeing that the Tsar's health continued to deteriorate, Catherine, along with her former boss, Alexander Menshikov, and with Fyodor Apraksin, Gavrila Golovkin, and Peter Tolstoy, began to draw close together to protect their interests. They allied themselves together because if they did not succeed in placing Catherine on the throne, they would likely be taken down by the other potential heir, Peter, son of Alexis. Tolstoy was in the most danger as he was the one responsible for bringing Alexis back to Russia and was part of the team that tortured Tsarevich. In October of 1724, Peter had aided some young sailors who were floundering in their boat close to shore, jumping into the icy waters to save them. Afterwards, a fever broke out. His health was now rapidly failing. But he rallied, as he so often did. He was able to attend on November 22, 1724, his daughter Anna's marriage to the Duke of Holstein. The party that ensued laid Peter out, where he remained on his bed for days when he said, quote, My poor health has forced me to keep to my room. I have, therefore, had time to reflect, and I've remembered several projects that I have not been able to carry out. On January 21st, 1725, due to overwhelming pain, doctors tried to help Peter by perforating his bladder. Out came pus from a raging infection. Within days, gangrene had set in. Many of his close associates nervously stayed close to him, especially his wife Catherine, whom he had reconciled with. They all wanted to know, now, who would succeed him. According to legend, before slipping into a coma, he asked for a piece of paper to write his answer. He wrote the words, leave all to, before passing out. At 6 a.m. on January 28, 1725, Peter the Great, Tsar and Emperor of all Russia, died. There is much speculation about what disease Peter died of. We are sure that the infection was maybe largely to blame, but I'll put out a theory of mine for all of you to hear for the first time. Now, I do work in the field of medicine. I do lecture on uh, things like environmental health, and I've also uh, worked on laboratory testing and interpreting data. And so it's my educated belief that Peter had end-stage colon cancer as there was writing about how a sphincter was so hard it was almost impossible to cut open with a knife. Many of the symptoms along with his lifestyle make me firmly believe that this is what he suffered through in his final days, that it had metastasized toward the end. Next week, we crown his wife, Catherine, as the first empress of Russia, and reflect on the reign of a man who was far larger than life, who in his short 52 years on this earth, not only changed Russia, but changed the world forever. Before we close, I'd like to read a eulogy written by Russian poet Alexander Sumarkokov some 50 years after Peter's death. It is not appropriate in Christianity to revere creatures as gods, but if still during paganism such a tsar had occurred, as soon as his fame had spread, the entire universe would have been shaken 
by his most marvelous deeds. Fame, like an unsilenceable trumpet, would have proclaimed God, not Tsar, the warrior who ascended the throne. Now, for this week in Russian history, for the two-week period of February 13th through the 26th, in 1135, Prince Yaropolk II of Kiev died. In 1613, Mikhail I, Romanov, is elected unanimously as Tsar by a national assembly, beginning the Romanov dynasty that was to last for 314 years. In 1861, serfdom is abolished in Russia. In 1890, Vyacheslav Molotov, a Soviet politician, was born. In 1904, Alexei Kosygin, premier of the Soviet Union, was also born. In 1918, the first victory of the Red Army over the Kaiser's German troops near Narva and Peskov. In honor of this victory, the date is celebrated from 1923 onward as Red Army Day. It is renamed Defender of the Fatherland Day after the fall of the Soviet Union in 1991 and is colloquially known as Men's Day. In 1950, the Soviet Union and the People's Republic of China signed a mutual defense treaty. In 1956, the 20th Congress of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union began in Moscow. On the last night of the meeting, Premier Nikita Khrushchev condemns Joseph Stalin's crimes in a secret speech. In 1972, Bronislava Nijinsky, the Polish-Russian ballet dancer, died at the age of 82. In 1984, Konstantin Chernenko succeeded the late Yuri Andropov as General Secretary of the Communist Party of the Soviet Union. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Now that I'm back from my travels, I'll be back on a more normal weekly schedule. Of course, please don't forget to visit the websites, russianrulers.podhoster.com. Please become a Facebook friend at Russian Rulers History Podcast. There and in the website, you can leave a comment, make a suggestion, ask a question, and as always, Das Vidanya Ispasiba Bolshoya.